Good morning. It's a great pleasure to serve you today as a teaching pastor. Eight months ago, I stood at this pulpit and announced my prayer request as I faced brain surgery for the removal of a tumor. Today, I want to express my deep gratitude to hundreds of you that prayed for me. Your support has touched my heart forever. By God's grace and mercy, I stand before you healthy and thriving again in all areas of my life. God has been kind, and he has been great, and he deserves the highest praise. As we are um, moving through the book of Acts, we've called the series Voyage. And th this book of Acts, this, this great story, this tremendous season of uh, of the church and its expansion is about the power of God released in mankind. It's about people who become filled with the Holy Spirit and go out and do the work of the ministry, completing the Great Commission and, and going forth in love, going forth in the dominant theme of Christianity, which is love. Um, the way this stage is set, by the way, is a little bit dangerous for a former history teacher. I taught history for 29 years, and when we start taking out maps, I'm getting excited now, and we have globes sitting here, you know, and I get a little deja vu about talking about these worlds and these civilizations and all these things. The problem being that those, those history classes back at Solon High were 55 minutes long, and uh, that's not quite as about the amount of time that I have this morning. One of the things about being a teacher is, of course, examinations. No smiles in the whole room. I can see, gee, a bunch of frowns, you know, like this. Examinations. See, that, that's, that's part of the process. Not only do is content given and information shared and learning going on, but then there's the tests. Those doggone tests, you know, where on our end of it, we're trying to measure what you learned. The Bible says that disciples are what we're called as we begin to follow Jesus, right? We're called disciples. Disciples is a funny word. It means learner. Learner. And so every day, every week as we open the scriptures, as Chad and Josh and other teachers come here and open the scriptures, you guys should come in here as learners, like opening up a, a notebook, so to speak, of your life and your heart to learn what has God from his word teaching us today. Without that kind of approach, you can stagnate. And it's really important to examine yourselves according to the scriptures, according to the word of God. It is the standard. It is the target. The word of God is to be, is to be sought after in fulfillment in our lives. And so today, what we're doing as we start this uh, portion of God's word we're skipping one chapter, and I want to tell you guys about this chapter 18. Well, Chad, in trying to arrange all of these different pastors and teaching and so forth, he's gone online on Facebook and has given a message on our website uh, through chapter 18. So if you're one of those that gets neurotic, like, I can't do this. I can't skip a chapter. I don't know what's going on. I'm lost. Well, you can go on our website and pick up Chad's message from chapter 18. Now, I'm responsible, or I was made responsible, to teach through chapters 19 and part of 20, and there's no way I'm doing that. I just can't. 
I just can't. I can't be Rick Duncan. I can't speak that fast. I cannot read through 57 verses as fast as I can so that you guys can all get with me. I can't do that. Not that Rick didn't do a wonderful job. He did. But he was poised to get through 57 verses or whatever number he had. I'm not. I'm going to slow it down. I'm going to ask you very piercing questions because that's what examinations are. You've come today to be examined. What it is is the Word of God before you and you looking at yourself through the Word of God. Nobody likes exams except the ones that are so prepared. I can think of very few tests that I went into like, yes, I'm going to really knock this thing out. Mostly it was with fear and trembling, especially if there were going to be essay questions that leave you very little room <laughs> for your ignorance. Let's pray together. Lord, I give you thanks and praise for this community of faith here at CVC. I give you uh, all the praise, Lord, that you've given me a family of faith to belong to, to live in, to, to, to experience things together, Lord. Lord, I thank you for the prayers that were offered. God, I pray blessing in return to all those who prayed, all those who remembered this old guy that was going through something. Lord, I just pray, God, that you would receive glory from all of our lives. Lord, we live because you give us life. We live, Lord, because you deem it so. And so, Father, today, here we are in your house. Here we are with your sacred word before us. Lord, we're here to learn and to grow. Lord, we're here to repent. We're here, God, to be transformed. We're not just here, Lord, to put an hour in. God, we're here to encounter you to sing you praises, to offer you our lives again, to ask you for great favor upon us. And so, Lord God, I just pray with all of my family here, Lord, that you would be glorified in this service in this day. I think about you, Jesus. And you told him this. When you guys pray, say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Amen. I've titled this message, Thy Kingdom Come. When I was a boy learning catechism, you know, I knew all the answers after a while, and probably by the age of six, I could say that prayer. I had no idea what it meant, really. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Close to Halloween, that's, that's Halloween, hallow thy name, hallow thy name. Nobody in my family ever used the word hallow, and I don't think anybody in your family used the word hallow. Hello? Right? It means to praise and honor and worship as we come into the presence of God to first give Him His due because who are we talking to? We're talking to our Father because we're beloved children, because He loves us when we come to the throne. He loves us and He draws us and He, and he wants us near Him. And then we're to hallow His name because it sets the appointment correctly. This is an audience with the Lord God Almighty, the everlasting God. But then he, we pray, Thy kingdom come. And that was another one of those phrases. What? What? Thy kingdom come. And as a kid, I had no idea what that really meant. I, it was just a curious statement. Thy kingdom come. That sounds good. 
you know, and I understood from my youth that Jesus was to be king, but I saw him hanging on a cross. You know, I knew about that. I knew about his horrible Friday, we call good, and I knew about his death and resurrection, but what do you mean thy kingdom come? How's that happen? Is it military? Is it armies? Is it a, what is that, right? What the book of Acts is about is about voyages for sure, but it's about the kingdom of God coming. This is the story of the kingdom of God, how it comes. And our responsibility is, do we match this? Because this is the authentic church. That 120 people that were in the upper room when the Holy Spirit came down and the fires of tongue and power and rushing winds and great preaching came forth, that's the original model. That's it. And now we're 2,000 years later, and we oh, what we've done, and I mean we by the human race and the, and the church of Jesus, what we've done is we've divided the church up into all these names, all these groups, all these confusing things we call denominations, never mentioned in the scriptures, never. There's no denomination in heaven. There's none of that. What is it thy kingdom come? Well, look at the book of Acts. Jesus says, don't even think about starting something. Because Jesus had told them, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now that's, well, that's a good foundation. Jesus told them, you can't do anything apart from me. But go into Jerusalem and wait, because I will send the Spirit of God, and He will come upon you, and He will give you power. He will give you passion for me. He will give you the force of, of heart and spirit to go out into the world and to be as I am. Because the Spirit of God is the Spirit of Christ. They're indivisible. So when the Holy Spirit is given to the church, suddenly the presence of Christ is in them all. Peter goes from being a knucklehead, as we all know, right? Peter has like one of those in-laws you have that when they open their mouth, you go, oh no, here it comes. They're going to say something really bad, stupid. That was Peter before Pentecost. And then all of a sudden he stands up and he gives this marvelous talk. And thousands, thousands come to Christ. Thousands say, I want to repent. I want to change life. I want to surrender my life to this Lord God. What happened? That shouldn't be too far away from us. That reality that all 120 of them became filled with the Holy Spirit and their lives were transformed ought to be something that we look at and go, yep, that's us. That's me. Or it ought to be me. You see, the Holy Spirit is the foundation of the church. 57 times in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit's mentioned. 57 times. I am not afraid to speak of the Holy Spirit. I'm not afraid at all. In fact, I'm thrilled to speak of the Holy Spirit today to you guys. It's what Jesus kept telling them. Okay, I better get to my message. <laughs> People upstairs are wondering, is he going to start pretty soon? Okay, yeah, let's do that. Scripture often tells us to look at ourselves, Psalm 90, 12, right? Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Today for me, it's 23,281. That's how many days I've lived on the earth since birth, 23,281, and I'm counting. I am counting because every day is redeemable. Every day is a gift from God. Every day I live because he wants me to live. Every day I can spread the kingdom of God. Every day I can live for him and put my head on that pillow and say, Lord Jesus, I love you, and I live this day for you. 
Teach us to number our days. I dare you to do that. Second Corinthians, Paul says, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. What an important scripture. Examine yourselves. Don't just go along with the crowd. Don't just go along with the tradition. Don't just move along with others. But examine yourself. This is the most critical thing that we have to do sometimes is to take a look at ourselves. Do I qualify? Is my life giving evidence that I am a Christian? That I not only go to a church, anybody could walk in this building. There's no scanners. There's no, there's no membership that you have to have. Anybody can go to church. Anybody can sit in a crowd. But is the Holy Spirit alive in you? Is there evidence that you have the presence of God in you? Do the people around you know what's going on in his life? What's going on in her life is that he's being, she's being transformed little by little, little by little. You see, God created the whole universe in six days. And for 40 years, he's been working on me, and he still hasn't got me there yet. That is sanctified, truly holy. But the Holy Spirit's been given to me to make me holy. That's the work of God in you, that you're not the same, that you're not this person that you were, but God's presence is transforming, sanctifying, setting you apart, that your kids are going, you know, Mom, you used to be mean. (laughs) You're not like mean anymore. Or, Dad, you know what? I've noticed that there's changes in you, Dad. You've been trying to push me to church, but there's evidence in you that may make me say yes because something's changed in you. We have to examine ourselves. Are we like these people in the book of Acts? Do we at all resemble them? And then finally, he was writing to Timothy. He said, keep a close watch on yourself. I think being a pastor here, I see a lot of people who are not keeping a close watch. A lot of people are just not being careful. They're not careful about this walk. Paul says, walk a worthy walk. Your walk should be worthy of of what you've been called to. You've been called to be a priest of God. Walk worthy in that calling. Okay, let's read chapter 19, 1 through 7. Let's take a look at this. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. And there he found some disciples. And he said to these disciples, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Wow. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come. And after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, The Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. They were about 12 men in all. See, this is the beginning of the church at Ephesus. Paul arrives there, and what he finds are people committed to God, baptized by John the Baptist. John dies before Christ is crucified, before the resurrection. Christ... John was calling out, as all the Old Testament prophets were, that there's one coming who's going to be like Moses. He's going to speak, and he's going to have power, and he's the Messiah, and he's the salvation of Israel. And so these guys were living hundreds of miles from Jerusalem now, and they were different in that they set themselves apart to follow God, but they didn't even know that Christ had risen. They had never heard of the Holy Spirit. My first question to you is, when you were baptized... Did you receive the Holy Spirit? You see, I was baptized at eight days, at eight days old. 
My first baptism was at eight days old. I had not yet been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I had not received God. I had not received His movement because we're passive in this. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, the giving of the Spirit is not something we, we can pull down from heaven. It's something that God gives from heaven. The filling of the Holy Spirit is something that we pray for, but it's not something we can obtain by reaching for it. It's something God grants to us. It's just like repentance. It's given to us from God. God desires that we should desire these things. You see, but these guys didn't have any idea. So in Matthew, you hear John the Baptist talking, and he's diminishing himself. You know that John said, I must decrease, he must increase. But he says this about himself in Matthew chapter 3. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who's coming after me is mightier than me, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So John lets these guys know, listen, look what I'm doing is just preparing the way. I'm just preparing the way. I'm like a guy who's sweeping the streets because a king is coming. I'm the guy moving the rocks, getting things out of the way because the king is coming. I baptize you in a dirty river. You tell me you want to repent. You tell me you're going to turn from your sins. I baptize you. Wham, here you go. That's it. That's it. The one who's coming after me, he's going to immerse you in the Holy Spirit. Jesus will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. He will do this. He will place you immersed in the Spirit. It's like the little kid who jumps into the swimming pool and he goes under the water. He is baptized. That's what baptism means, immersion. You guys have a pool. Were you in there yesterday? Oh, my goodness, it was 97 yesterday. (laughs) Okay, but I'm asking you guys, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you were baptized, when you believed? You see, your answers could vary. You could say, yes, I was. When I believed, I received the Holy Spirit. You might say, no. You might say, maybe, or I don't know or I'd like to be. No, the Bible says clearly, Jesus will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And at this regeneration moment, in this moment in time when God works upon us and He gives us His Spirit and regenerates us, makes us brand new, He gives us the Holy Spirit. Part of the problem with evangelical churches like ours is there's so much mania out there regarding the Holy Spirit that we sometimes shy away from it. Like, we don't want to talk about the Holy Spirit because everybody's going to start talking about tongues. Everybody's going to talk about deliverance. Everybody's going to start talking. No. There's 252 references in the New Testament of the Holy Spirit. That's our text. That's our epistles. That's our gospels. 52 times in the book of Acts. If you want to know how the church, how the kingdom comes, read the book of Acts and mark every time the Holy Spirit's mentioned. There can't be a church. There can't be a kingdom come without the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is the one who baptizes us in the Spirit. But have you, when you believed, see, I believed in Jesus when I was a little kid in my head. I looked at the crucifix and I said, oh my, I believe he's the son of God. I believe that is the lamb of God. But I didn't have a transforming encounter with God. I simply believed it up here. I believed that Columbus discovered America. I believed in Napoleon. I believed in Abraham Lincoln. I believed that Jesus was God. But belief in the head is not belief in the heart. There is nothing like belief in the heart. Belief in the heart is the transformation. Belief in the heart is when you become a Jesus freak. That's what makes you a Jesus freak. And don't shy away from that. I want to be called Jesus freak. I used to have kids mock me at Soul and High. go, Jesus freak. They used to mock me. They used to point at me and make my, say that about me. And I'd go, hallelujah, 
Hallelujah, you're preaching for me. Hallelujah, you're preaching for me. And they would mock me because I had Jesus on my baseball hat as I was a head coach. I put Jesus right on top of that hat because I wanted every coach and every umpire, even when I was yelling at the umps, I wanted them to know Jesus first. <laughs> Jesus first in everything. And Jesus first in this as well. And we're going to try to play this game as well as we can. But Jesus. You see, being a Jesus freak is the only way. It's the only way. Hmm. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Your answers can vary. Look at these words so carefully. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. That was the promise of God. Jesus says it in Acts 1. He says, stay there because I will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. The Father will give the gift of the Spirit. As we've seen, the entire Jerusalem church was transformed by that baptism. As we've seen, Stephen became uh, the first martyr, but he was chosen because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul walking down the road, you know, persecuting Christians on his way, and God knocks him off his horse, and he cries out, Lord. He cries out, Lord. Paul is then prayed over, and he receives the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's filled with the Spirit. Acts chapter 4, they're praying again not only after the first time that the Holy Spirit had come upon them in Jerusalem, but they're in a room again praying, and the place was shaken. Their prayer meeting was shaken. Something came into the room. A manifest presence of God came in, and the place was shaken, and they were all filled with the Spirit again. Now, that's important because it says something. A lot of the same people that were in the upper room, 120 of them in Acts chapter 2, were also in this room praying again, and they were filled again. Moody, the famous guy from Chicago, Moody Bible Institute, so forth, a great pastor, he said the reason that we need to be filled again is because we leak. We leak. <laughs> I can feel it leaking out of me. I can feel the presence of God sometimes leak out of me, meaning that I'm turning, you know, I'm turning my attention to, to the world. I'm turning my attention to things. I'm turning my attention to self. And there's such a battle in my life. There's a battle in your life. Who's on the throne today? Who is on the throne of your life today? Is it Christ? Is it undoubtedly Christ or is it you? It's a one-seater like Chad says. There's a one-seater in the heart, your heart, and someone sits on that throne. And by our flesh and by our sinfulness and by the world and by the doggone lust of the flesh, the pride of life, all these things, we're drawn away from keeping Christ first and central. See, today in the church and today in this room, there's a place here for you to pray. This is a place of prayer. This is called a house of prayer, Jesus said. My people will be known by this distinctive thing. They won't just gather and sing. They do that a lot of places. But in my house, they will pray. You're this far away from this prayer. What is that prayer? Well, that's that prayer of Lord God, fill me again. I repent. I turn to you. I ask you to fill me with your spirit again. That's what the early church did. That's what God granted to them. God acted upon them because you know what? They were going into a world of hostility. They were going into a world that was dark, and they had to face this world and triumph as Jesus did. And they know they couldn't do it on their own. You think you can live the Christian life? Do you think you can live the Christian life? No. God knows we can't. That's why he put Christ in us. That's why he put the Spirit in me. Because I can't live the Christian life. I can't. 
I need him in me to live the life that he is. Paul says it the most clearly. I'm crucified with Christ. I don't live anymore. But Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christians are not people who are trying to be good in their own strength and their own flesh. Christians are people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Spirit of Christ. He lives in us. He is in our indwelling presence, and we draw from him. And we say, Lord, I offer you my life, a living sacrifice. Make me holy today. Strengthen me today. Give me wisdom today. Empower me today. Use me today. That's Christianity. It's not me, 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 I, I, I at all. It's him. It's him in us. Hmm. Let's go to Acts 19. And let's go to uh, verses 8 through 10. And he entered the synagogue. Now, this is Paul. And for three months he spoke boldly. That's what Christians do. And he reasoned and persuaded them about the kingdom of God. But when they became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them. And he took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So what do we see? We see Paul filled with the Spirit of God. And what is he doing? He's proclaiming the word of the Lord. He's proclaiming the word of the Lord. He's in this hall, which was used for the philosophers and public meetings. They were real big on that. And between the hours of 11 and 4, usually the place was vacated because of the heat. That's the, day, that's the time of siesta. That's the time they rested. But Paul would go in there daily. And for two years, he was proclaiming and proclaiming and proclaiming and proclaiming. And being that Ephesus was a key city for trade and commerce, people would come and go from all the region. And as that happened... More and more people had contact and had heard him and heard him and taken this message and gone out and gone out. And after two years, all of Asia had heard. You see, what was Paul preaching? First, he was preaching that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is Yahweh. Paul clarified. He made it known. As a Jew, he was saying, this is my God. This is the God of the Old Testament. This is the God of Moses and Abraham and Isaac and Adam. This is the God of all the past. Jesus is Jehovah. Jesus is Yahweh, and he spoke to him, saying, and he used it in his writings. He said, you know, who, who can know the mind of the Lord? And he called Jesus Lord. You see it in the Scripture, they're calling him Lord, and they're not using Lord as like a little title. They're talking Lord God Almighty. So Paul was teaching Jesus this way. Paul was teaching that Jesus was preexistent, that he was before all things. He wrote in Colossians, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He tells them in Corinthians that, hey, Jesus, you remember that story about them wandering around the desert, the Israelites, they're wandering in the wilderness for 30, 40 years, and there was a rock that followed them. Paul says the rock that gave them water when they were in desolate lands was Jesus. He's preexistent. He created all things. He was before all things. So Paul is, he's just expounding and expounding. If you talk about our church, that's nice. CVC is a very nice place with cushy chairs and good coffee. But if you talk about Jesus, you're really doing the work of ministry. If you just let people know, listen, I was lost, I was blind, but now I see. I was dead, but now I'm alive because of Jesus. 
I've been eavesdropping for months in our, in our lobby. And I, what I've been doing with my one good ear, I got one, <laughs> is to listen how many people are talking about Jesus. Like, how many people are talking about Jesus out there? And what are they saying? And if we're not talking about Jesus, who is? We're supposed to be Jesus' people. We're his bride. He's our greatest treasure. He's our all in all. He's everything. So Paul gives us this example of a passionate life. He goes out proclaiming and proclaiming and proclaiming. No doubt about what Paul was after. He, he talks about Jesus being creator. He talks about how everything was made for him and through him. He talks about how Jesus receives prayer because they were told to pray unto the Lord Jesus Christ. That's in 1 Corinthians. You remember that early prayer called Maranatha where they would call upon the Lord to come? They were saying, Jesus, come. Maranatha, it was a greeting. Early Christians used to greet each other that way. Maranatha, they'd say to each other. And what they were saying was, come, Lord Jesus, now. John, at the end of the book, right, in Revelation, he's saying, come, Lord Jesus, now. Common prayer. So Paul went on to say, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. And what is that gospel? We know this story. We know that an eternal God, before the creations of the world, decided that he would become flesh, and he would come live here, and he would live a perfect and holy and sinful life, sinless life, and that he would be persecuted and murdered, and that he would die, and they'd put him in a grave, and that he would rise from the dead, and he would meet with his disciples for 40 days, hallelujah, and he would teach them about the kingdom of God, and then he'd say, I'm leaving, but I'm not going to leave you alone. And 10 days later, his promise comes true. They're in a room and Pentecost occurs and the Holy Spirit comes upon the church. And that's how Jesus fulfills this promise. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. How is that promise true, Jesus? Because he comes to abide in us. He comes to live in us. You see, Paul's life was filled with remarkable evidence of God's presence by his passion. Let's look at 19, 11, and 12, through 20. Now, this is a different part of the story for sure. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that he had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Wow. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying... I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims, seven sons of the Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered these guys and said, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. At this became known to all the residents of Ephesus. Well, yeah, picture that scene, right? These guys are running around the streets naked, bloodied, and they're screaming because a demonic man has beaten them and was taking care of them. So this became known to all the residents, both Jews and Greeks. And here's such an important line, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. See, this is repentance. This is revival. 
and a number of those who came had practiced magic arts, brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Signs, wonders. These guys were, were Jewish priests, but they had left uh, orthodoxy and they were taking all this superstition. They were taking all these names of different gods and goddesses and they were trying to use these different names to drive demons out. Jesus even knew about them because when they accused Jesus of, using, of being a demon himself... He said, by whom do your men drive out the demons? He knew of these kinds of men, these kind of traveling shows, magic arts, right? But the question I'm asking you, but who are you? The demons question, but who are you? I'll meet some of you in the lobby today, perhaps. You'll come up and say nice things to me. But who are you? Are you known in heaven? Are you known in hell? Are you listed in the book of life? The books in heaven have names in them, and the book of life contains the names of the saints. Is your name there? Who are you? See, these guys figured, oh, man, we can use Jesus' name. Lots of people use Jesus' name. I think there's some politicians, oh, Lord, have mercy, that want to use Jesus' name. They want to identify and say, well, you know, I believe in Jesus too. Well, then a person who believes in Jesus walks a holy life. A person who believes in Jesus is transformed by the very presence of God in their life. I mean, I used to think I was a Christian too because I wasn't Buddhist. I wasn't Hindu. I wasn't Muslim. I must be a Christian. See, that's how many. But these people try to use Jesus' name. Are you known? Are you a professor of Christ as these guys were without a real relationship? You see, only those who possess Christ are His. Let's look at Romans 8, 9. 8, 9, and 13, 14. You, Paul writes, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, the Spirit, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. No exceptions. Are you led by the Spirit of God? Is He commander? Is He on that throne? Is He driving? Is He leading? Is He directing? Is He guiding? Is He teaching you? Are you in humble submission to God? Because if you're not, that scripture is pretty critical. Only those that are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. So examine yourself today. Learn this today, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a work of God at our new birth. When we're born again, when He divinely chooses us, changes us, we are invaded by the Holy Spirit to become His holy temple. Reliance upon His power is essential to live the Christian life. It has been well said that only Jesus can live the Christian life. Well, that's right, but he lives in you through the Holy Spirit. You can live the Christian life because he lives in you if you have surrendered your life. If you want to know the impact of a human being invaded by God, look for these signs. There's passion. There's passion. 
There's a fire. Jesus said he will baptize you with fire. What's that fire? What is that about? It's about a passion for Christ. It's not about attending church. It's not about putting in time or giving a couple bucks. It's about a passionate love relationship with Christ. It's about purity because the Holy Spirit's holy and he makes us holy. How could he not? If God's dominating in my life, I am becoming holy. I'm leaving behind the deeds of the flesh. I'm no longer living in these sins. And by the power of God, he's helping me transform into the image of Christ. I'd love to live another 25 years, not just to see my granddaughters get married. That would be cool. That would be wonderful. But I'd like to see what God has still to do in me. I'd like to see that there could be a time in my life where love, joy, peace, and patience, and kindness, and gentleness, and all the fruits of the Spirit are really fruitful in my life. I'd like my great-grandkids to say, Grandpa is kind. Grandpa is patient. Grandpa is loving. Grandpa is gentle. Grandpa has faith. You see, that's what the Holy Spirit does. He transforms us. He makes us into the image of Christ because Christ lives in me. And for those of you that are born again, he lives in you too. Now, here's the closing thing, a very important part. You see, there's power in the name of Jesus. There's power to overcome sin. There's power to live that set-apart life. There's power in prayer. There's power in overcoming darkness. There's power in the name of Jesus. We sing about it. That's one thing. We may be making ourselves false if we say all these things without them being truth. There's power in his name. See, a Christian is somebody who is passionate who is living a holy, set-apart life, but also is powerful, powerful in ministry. Their life is affecting others. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And you go, well, I don't qualify. I'm just... It's not about you qualifying. It's about Him in you. You qualify. Surrendered in Christ, you qualify. He lives in you. The best part of the message is probably this part. What if I'm over here messy? What if I'm here today? What, what if I'm not? Jesus says, look, Luke eleven thirteen. 13. You should memorize this scripture and pray it frequently. Think it through soberly. Think this through. Is the Father holding back? Has he got this gift to give and he's not giving? Absolutely, that's the wrong image of God. This is the father. He's the prodigal father. He's throwing his arms open to the, the ones who are wayward. He's welcoming them in. And you being evil know how to give good gifts to your kids. That's me. But how much more would the father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So I wonder today with a thousand some people that will attend, how many will ask him? How many will go to the throne and say, Father, give me your spirit? Please fill me again. Please forgive me. I'm wayward. I'm prodigal again, God. And for some of you, you need to be born again. You need to begin. So look at the response card. There's just two responses that I'm asking. If you're a Christian, you know, you're just like these guys in Acts. Ask him again. Ask to be filled again. You do leak. I've never met a spirit-filled person who's that all the time. I've met some that are close, 
You know, I've met some that are on fire, it seems like, all the time. But I'm not. I'm not. I need God to fill me again. You need God to fill you again. So as we worship now, pray that prayer. I want to pray it for you. Father, I do pray. In your glorious mercy and grace, that we as your people, Lord, would return to you with all of our hearts, with a desire above all things that you would fill us with your spirit, that we might walk in lives of passion and purity and power, that we might bring forth the kingdom of God as you've asked us to pray, that we might be the light in the dark world that we live in, that our lives would shine, that we would be so salty Lord Jesus, be glorified in the membership, in the, in the church that's called Cuyahoga Valley. Lord, come, be with us. Fill us again. For the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen.